I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about the horrific terrorist attack by Hamas on Israeli civilians and on Israel in general, we have with us Daniel Byman, who is a senior fellow in the CSIS Transnational Threats Program and someone who's studied terrorism and Hamas for a very long time. Dan, you know, first, I think we should say our hearts go out to, you know, our brothers, sisters, cousins, family, in my case, niece in Israel, such a horrific, horrible, terrible attack over the weekend starting on Saturday. We're talking on Tuesday afternoon, October 10th. And Dan, first, I want to ask you, has Hamas ever in its history been able to execute something remotely resembling what they did on Saturday? This is off the charts when you compare it with other Hamas attacks. Hamas has, of course, done rocket and missile attacks on Israel before, but the scale of this barrage is much greater. But far more important and far more deadly has been the mass infiltration of Israel by Hamas. In the past, they've done smaller scale operations. They've done terrorist attacks here and there, even in a sustained way. But nothing at this scale where Hamas has sent hundreds, maybe even low thousands of its fighters into Israel who have killed almost a thousand Israelis. And these numbers keep growing every time I look. And taken hostages. There's over, I think the, the the current number is there's up to 150 hostages they've taken, Israeli hostages. We even believe there's some American hostages. Maybe they have dual citizenship. We don't know exactly yet. This has to represent at some level a pretty serious intelligence failure by Israel. What are your thoughts in that regard? I know it's not a time to point fingers, and I'm not trying to point fingers, but it, it baffles the mind as to how this could happen. I should also say to our, our listeners, you know, this border between Israel and Gaza is, you know, 37 miles long, which is, you know, roughly equivalent to driving from DC to Baltimore. It's a long border. This is clearly an intelligence failure by Israel. And I want to begin by saying, though, I did not expect this type of operation either. So I don't want to make it sound like I had some incredible prescience that others lacked. But my assumption was that Israel had an excellent intelligence picture of both Hamas as an organization and the Gaza Strip. And the scale of this, to smuggle so many weapons in, to manufacture other weapons, to hide them, to train large teams, to develop innovative ways like gliders of overcoming the Israeli security barrier, to send so many people into Israel, that takes a lot of operational security. And my assumption was Israeli intelligence would have detected such a large-scale plot. There also seems to be failures beyond that, where there were not sufficient police or military forces near Gaza to handle contingencies. Not necessarily even of the scale, but it was simply not a well-defended area, even though it was known that Hamas targets these areas. And add to this, Israeli political leaders were focused, really it seems, on everything but Gaza. So there was concern about violence in the West Bank, a focus on Iran, 
and of course Israel's very fractious domestic political scene. So there seems to have been a lot of inattention to what turned out to be a very grave threat. Yeah, and I think it can't be underscored enough that one of the things you just mentioned, Israel was and is very occupied in thought with what's going on with uprisings on the West Bank and clearly also concerned now as ever with what's the situation in the North with Hezbollah. That has to have played a major factor in Israel's South being vulnerable. I think that's right. Uh, you know, To be fair to Israeli strategic planners and intelligence, they have a lot of threats to deal with. And Hezbollah has been a particular concern, especially as tension with Iran has heated up because Hezbollah and Iran are so close. And we're even seeing some worrying signs that Hezbollah is um, engaging in a tit-for-tat with Israel in Israel's north right now. But distraction can be deadly when it comes to threats like Hamas. And I think, unfortunately, Israel is paying a very high price right now. When we think about what's happening now, Israel says it's cleared out the Hamas terrorists from Israel proper and preparing for some kind of mission into Gaza. What do you think is next? In the past, Israel has done limited ground operations at most in Gaza, including under Netanyahu, who has been very cautious. Gaza is a nightmare for fighting. It's one of the most densely packed urban areas in the world. And Hamas is prepared for any Israeli incursion. It has presumably pre-sighted areas for fire. It also probably has a range of tunnels that it will use to pop up behind Israeli forces to surprise them and perhaps even kidnap more Israelis. So understandably, even when tension was high in the past, Israel has been very reluctant to go after Hamas. The political circumstances are incredibly different this time around. Um, I can't stress how the scale of the killing has changed things. We're still getting numbers, but this may be the deadliest day, deadliest single day in Israeli history, or perhaps since the creation of the Israeli state in 1948. It's one of the deadliest days in Jewish history. So incredibly high body count, but also the nature of the casualties. The deliberate targeting of women and very young children, we're still getting a lot of initial reports, so I want to be cautious when I say this, but a lot of reports of deliberate atrocities against young children. And so the scale of the bloodshed, but also the nature of the bloodshed, have in some ways brought Israelis together. And one thing that they want is to make Hamas pay a very heavy price. So it's going to be very hard for even a cautious leader to avoid a very aggressive response. So we're certainly going to see blockade, which we're already seeing. We're going to see heavy airstrikes, which we're already seeing. But I think we're going to see a significant operation on the ground. To me, the questions are, how far will Israel go in and how long will it stay? And Dan, you've studied Hamas for a long time, and you know the terrain in Gaza, and, and you just talked about the density. What does it take for Israeli forces to go in and try to find the Hamas terrorists and try to get to them, capture them, eliminate them? What does it take to actually execute a mission like that? So this is exceptionally difficult. And we should stress that even though Gazans, you know, some are certainly resentful of Hamas, they're very hostile to Israel. So Israel is going in where the general population of its own accord would not uh, want to work with Israel. Um, so what Israel would have to do is take over areas, and then interrogate the people in them and slowly build up an intelligence picture about who does what for Hamas. And that is something that Israel's intelligence has done before on the West Bank. 
but it takes a considerable amount of time. And a particularly difficult question for Israel will be, who will run the Gaza Strip while this is going on? Will it be Israel directly? It will have large numbers of forces there, and they will be subject, presumably, to constant low-level attacks, whether it's improvised explosive devices or sniping from Hamas. There isn't a reliable, from an Israeli point of view, Palestinian proxy you can put in place to run Gaza. And groups like the Palestinian Authority that run the West Bank will not want to be associated with Israeli military forces. So any occupation would be grinding and very difficult, but it would take that sustained occupation to really go after Hamas in a fundamental way. Yeah, and President Biden today made very clear that the United States stands behind Israel as ever. What do you think the U.S. role is going to be in this war? The U.S. plays a number of roles. First of all, President Biden's speech is a good example. The statements by members of Congress are examples. Um, moral support, saying that the United States shares the outrage of Israelis and understands that there will be an Israeli response that will be tough, and the United States stands by Israel. There's also military support. So some of that's very specific, may involve particular munitions Israel needs. The Biden administration deployed a carrier battle group to the eastern Mediterranean to send a message to both Iran and the Lebanese Hezbollah that they shouldn't escalate, so giving Israel military support. What changes everything, though, from the past is that there are now significant American debt and also American hostages. And so, to be clear, a terrorist group has captured Americans and is holding them hostage. And this will be a complication for the United States, where it's not just a question of supporting a very close ally like Israel, but Americans are directly involved and need American help. And Dan, when we talk about these hostages, it really makes this extremely complex. What is Israel to do to try to get these hostages back? What are maybe some of the prospects for getting them back? We know some of these hostages are children. We know some are families. We know there's the elderly. It's really almost just unfathomable what's happened. So the hostage situation will be an incredibly difficult thing for Israel to navigate. On an immediate tactical level, if Israeli forces go into the Gaza Strip, which I believe they will, it makes immediate operations harder. You have to worry that if you're going to target a building or shoot in a general direction, that you'll be hitting your own people. But Hamas has already said they're going to execute hostages in response to Israeli actions. And whether any particular threat is credible or not is unclear, but in general, Hamas has bargaining chips. And in the past, Israel has been willing to trade hundreds of its uh, Palestinian prisoners for a single Israeli. So these trades in the past leave open the prospect for Hamas that all Palestinian prisoners might be released, just to give one example, in exchange for a return of the Israeli hostages. But there is a concern that as military operations continue, especially if Israel does press Hamas hard, especially if Israel is close to succeeding in really hurting the Hamas leadership, that Hamas will victimize the hostages in order to try to coerce Israel into stopping. Let's turn to another terrorist organization, Hezbollah, to Israel's north. Some have said that they may wait until Israel goes into Gaza with its current mission to extract the hostages and kill the terrorists, but then that might leave Israel's northern flank unprepared. What's the calculation there? Israel does have enough military capacity to fight both Hamas and Hezbollah at once. Now, obviously, it would concentrate on one foe 
and try to hold the other at bay. But Hezbollah is far more powerful than Hamas. It has a much vaster arsenal of rockets and missiles. Its fighters are more skilled. And when Israel fought Hezbollah in 2006, it was a pretty even fight. Israel had technological superiority, but there's no question Hezbollah fighters fought very well. Uh, so Israel is rightly concerned about escalation in the north with Hezbollah joining the fray. I think Hezbollah has its own concerns in Lebanon. Its constituents are not eager for another fight with Israel. Israel has made it very clear that it would attack the critical infrastructure in Lebanon that supports Hezbollah. And this would be devastating for Lebanese who already face an economic crisis. So I think there are significant disincentives for Hezbollah. But passions are going to grow on this. And we've seen a lot of excitement among many people in the Arab world about what they see as Hamas's success. And we're also already seeing anger about what they see as Israeli cruelty in the response. And that's going to grow in the coming days as the Israeli response starts to go into high gear and images in world media go from images of dead Israelis to images of dead Palestinians from Israeli bombings. Dan, you've touched on Iran's role in this at the beginning of our discussion, but I want to ask you, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan just said today that Iran is complicit in the larger sense here. What are some of your thoughts? At the very least, we know that Iran funds Hamas. We know that Iran has trained Hamas fighters and made them more proficient. And we know that Iran has provided rockets and missile systems, both actual systems, but also taught Hamas how to manufacture these. So in terms of making Hamas a more formidable organization, there is no question Iran has played a significant role. I've heard conflicting reports as to how much Iran was involved directly in this operation. There are some reports saying that Iran helped plan it and gave the go-ahead, and others say Iran did not. There's no evidence that Iran played a direct role. So I simply don't know the answer to that. But there's no question that Iran has made Hamas much more dangerous, and as a result, Hamas was able to pull off such a devastating attack. Dan Byman, I know we'll be talking in the days and weeks ahead. Thank you very much for this. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 